Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello, Miss Emma. How are you and where are you in the world today? Well, I'm pretty well. I've got a sore throat, which is a bit scary in these times, but no, I think I'm okay. Um, I live in Albany in Western Australia, so it's about a five-hour drive south of Perth. Mm -hmm. So we're in a fairly beautiful but isolated part of the world, and that's part of my whole story actually is moving here from a big city. So I love living here. It's been a conscious choice of mine. Nice. Well, as a Perth girl myself, originally, I know Albany and I know it is very beautiful. So I'm intrigued to hear about the move to Albany, amongst other things in your story. Yeah. So Emma, the this interview is part of an interview series, which is designed to share lots of different stories about how women have made significant career change to go from a successful career into working for themselves and really to give as many different examples as possible of showing how that's possible to override what I think a lot of people assume and that is that you know when you get into your 40s and beyond that any kind of significant career change particularly starting your own business is like it's too late so I want to be able to share lots of stories so I'm uh, really excited about sharing your story and finding out more about how you've done it so what about if you can you share with us what is it that you used to do for work well I used to live in Sydney for um, a very long time and basically fell into the fast-moving consumer goods industry. So the fast-moving consumer goods industry is all the products that you buy in supermarkets, so packaged goods. So the companies I worked for were always in the beauty industry, so shampoo and skincare and dental care and all those kind of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I fell into it because I actually got my degree as a mature age student. So I didn't graduate from uni until I was 30 with a business degree. And I'd worked in retail for a really long time and had worked for some of the big makeup brands like Clinique. And so I just loved the beauty industry and I loved product launches and all that sort of stuff. So after uni, I got into one of the world's biggest consumer goods companies and but it, I really did fall into it. It wasn't something that I'd sort of grown up dreaming of selling products. Uh-huh, <laughs> but, okay. but yeah, the last role I had before I changed career was national business manager of a shampoo company. So I ran their pharmacy division and I was responsible for about $16 million of sales for that company every year. Holy Schwartz, that sounds like a very big grown up job. It was big and grown up and I think that was part of it. I don't know if I felt that grown up. Not that I'm not a grown up but it just I was towards the end I'm like what am I doing this for? It's not even something I wanted to do. This is crazy. Right. (laughs) So I really want to get into into that. So you're in a national role uh, and it pretty much sounds like you've been in that sort of industry for quite a while and then what is it that you do now? 
Well, now I am a personal trainer and yoga teacher and coach. And so my focus is on body love and body acceptance. Mm -hmm. So I work with clients one-on-one in classes and in, you know, personal training sessions and as a coach, but I also have a 12-month certification program where other women can study to become body love coaches and start their own businesses as well. So that's what I'm doing now. Awesome. I so want to find out about the process that you went through to get to that stage but before we get excited and jump to that I want to know how that transition came about you you mentioned when you told us briefly what it is that you were doing that you got to a point where you were sort of asking yourself why am I even doing this job as a business manager but what, what was going on that led you to start to think about making a change So much was going on. So I think like within the industry, like I worked for two big companies in the time that I worked in that industry and I felt that it was really such a boys club. So I sort of felt like there was only a certain level I could get to without completely compromising myself as a person, you know, like I'd have to become more, I'd have to become obsessed with work to be able to climb up the ladder. And I just wasn't obsessed with it. As I said, I fell into it. So it wasn't something that I was obsessed with and I felt frustrated that I was kind of being overlooked. And at one point I did get promoted to this national business manager role and one of the men in the company said to me, but you're not a real national business manager. And I was the only woman national business manager. So it was just kind of like there was that What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. I don't know. But that's what I, f- I felt like I was bashing my head up against a wall. And, yeah. you know, to jump into the future, now I can see. It's because it just wasn't right for me. It's not that there's anything wrong with that industry. It just wasn't my industry, you know. So, yeah. But I didn't realise that at the time. I thought there was something wrong with me or that I wasn't being acknowledged. And, and I was very frustrated by that. Mm-hmm. At, at the same time, I had... Um, hopefully it's a had, I had, um, stage four endometriosis, which is a, you know, pretty serious, um, problem that women can encounter. Apparently one in 10 women around the world have endometriosis. Wow. I didn't know those stats. Yeah. It's pretty serious. And there's not been a lot of, um, research done on it because I don't know, I think it's because it's a woman's problem and it's, and a lot of people aren't, um, unaware of it. So I don't know. Mm. It, but yeah. So I had stage four, which meant that I, while I was still living in Sydney, I had two surgeries. Um, the second within a period of about 18 months, the second surgery, one of my ovaries, ovaries was removed. Um, and so I was struggling a lot with my health. Mm. So that really made it difficult as well. Like I didn't have the energy to work in this environment either. And then the third thing, which I can look back on now is that I, I did have a whole series of body image issues. I've had them, I had them my whole life growing up from a very young age for various reasons. And so I was also very obsessed with going to the gym and losing weight and counting my calories. Um, So the way I sort of got into this new career was through trying out a boxing class because I thought I'd lose weight if I did some boxing. And so that was really the gateway to starting a new career. (laughs) <laughs> that I, I am not laughing at that at all although I sort of am because it's it's funny that when people are at this point of you know they've had had a successful career and for whatever reason whether it's health challenges whether it, it's a, a 
workplace culture issue, whether it's a life stage or parenting, whatever the trigger is, people in that space often want to just go, I I know I need to do and want to do something else, but I'm not sure what that is. And you've answered that question for yourself by going to a boxing class. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because because as I said, you know, I live in Albany now and my mum lives here and two of my brothers live here. So I've been visiting Albany for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd leave Albany, I'd be sad to leave my family. But more and more, I was getting sad to leave Albany. But I kept thinking I'm trapped in Sydney because I have to be, I have to climb up the corporate ladder. What could I possibly do in Albany? So yes. I felt really trapped by that. And I felt, you know, I've been single for a really long time. I don't have my own children. So my, my family that I grew up with is really important to me. And I kept thinking, why am I so far away from them all the time? Um, yeah. So going to this boxing class and doing two or three classes and just being absolutely addicted, I (laughs) thought I could do this. I could learn to become a personal trainer and I could do that in Albany. Like Mm -hmm. I could, that's, that's my way out of Sydney that's my way out of this corporate career. That's a way that I could completely change my life. So that's what I did. Wow. And so you've gone to a couple of boxing classes to, you know, work out your aggression about your doofus workmate that doesn't think that you're a real national manager, amongst other things, (laughs) and had this little epiphany. Yeah. How long did it take for you to commit to making the change and how did you go about doing that? Well, I remember like messaging my mum on Facebook Messenger one night saying, mum, I think I want to be a personal trainer and I'd probably have to move in with you for a while just while I sorted myself out. What do you think? She's like, when are you coming? (laughs) So so lucky I have a mother that's so supportive. So, but I, I wanted to, like I'd lived over East for such a long time. I'd lived in Sydney for such a long time and I have lots of beautiful friends there that felt like, you know, a second family to me. Mm. Um, I was, I was still very committed to my work and I was the only person that worked in this pharmacy division. So I wanted to be able to, um, hand that position over to someone else. So I, I basically gave myself, I think it was seven or eight months mm-hmm. to, um, sort of wind up my life in Sydney, you know, hand over my job to somebody else and then move to Western Australia. So, yeah, that's – but, you know, once I decided, I just made the – I just decided that that, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was a hard decision because yeah. I had somewhere to move to, I had my family support, and it just felt right. It just yeah. felt like something I had to do. Nice. And, and so when you say when I made the decision, I just made the decision, did you kind of go in and resign straight away or did you give yourself some planning time or – from the second class where you had the little insight and the message from your mum saying, yes, you can live with me, um, how long was it before you sort of, I guess, went public with that decision? Um, So I went public with some of my colleagues pretty quickly. Okay. Um, But I gave, I think I gave three months' notice with the business, with my managers. So I I had to do a presentation about what the next 12 months was going to look like in my area of the business. Mm -hmm. And so I gave this really great presentation. And then at the end, and I I said, so you're going to have to, though, the last thing you're going to need to do is find someone to replace me because I'm leaving. And then you did that in the presentation. Yeah, I did it at the end of the presentation. They're just like, absolutely gobsmacked because they're like you put so much effort into this presentation you have such great ideas 
And to still have that commitment knowing that you're going to leave is a really good, you know, that's a really good way to send yourself off. And actually the day I left the company, it was the end of a quarter and my division had had its um, best ever sales quarter in the history of the company. So it was quite a great way to leave leave the business, to be honest. Oh, Emma, that's so good. Because I yeah. think there's so, a lot that can happen in organisations, even organisations with fairly good cultures, where there's that whole language around, oh, she's already left the building. And, mm. you know, she's just phoning it in. She's just working, you know, her way until she finishes. But I, I feel like there's something that speaks volumes about you in the way that you complete a role and there'll be people that re- react and respond in different ways to your decision but I think if you can hand on heart mm-hmm. say to yourself that you know that you still showed up, you delivered the goods, you were present, you were acting as if you were going to be there then I think that's when you can leave holding your head up high. And it really is a, a an element that is communicating about your personal brand, the kind of character of person that you are. So I think, and having some tangible measures of that, like your, you know, best ever quarterly sales result is even better because it's a tangible that no one can take away from you, that you know that you helped the team to deliver that, which is fantastic. Yeah, it felt it felt so amazing. I mean, of course, there's a little part, part of me that's like sucked in. <laughs> You've lost me now. <laughs> but um, no, it felt it felt really good to be able to leave in in that way. Yeah, yeah great. And so, uh, and I'm so glad that you acknowledge that because there is there's that little part of us. It's like wants people to go. Don't see you. You didn't appreciate me enough. Anyway, uh, so I'm curious. Your mum was obviously on board and very excited and supportive. How did yeah. other people respond? Particularly. You're someone that sounds like you're a really high achiever. How did other people in your work situation and friend group, I guess, how did they respond to you saying, yeah, I'm leaving Sydney, I'm moving to Albany and I'm going to be a personal trainer? Yeah, I mean, there were so many different levels of response. Um, You know, my friends were sad to see me go, but I think a lot of my friends had gone into the stage of life where they were having children and things like that so you know without sounding rude they weren't really as available to me as Mm -hmm. as they used to be so and they knew that so they knew that I was feeling quite lonely in the big city on my own Mm -hmm. so they understood that um lots of people said how brave I was yes (laughs) and and I, I guess it was brave, but like really the way I'd been feeling for quite some time with my health and with the work culture and, you know, feeling a bit lonely in the big city, it didn't feel brave to me. It felt necessary. I didn't know how else I was going to cope if I continued the way I was. Yeah. So so it kind of didn't feel brave, but I can see now, yes, it is brave. Um, but I also think because I don't have children and I didn't have a partner there was no one else that I was uprooting except for myself so Mm -hmm. I think I have a level of freedom when it comes to that compared to some other people there were people that I worked with that thought I was being a bit stupid like they've they've got different (laughs) values to me yes um but then there were other people in my um in my workplace that actually really helped me so I'd actually broken my foot a couple of weeks before I left work so I actually 
left the business a broken woman, literally. Oh. <laughs> but um, I hadn't enrolled in my personal training course or anything because of the broken foot. Yeah. But one of my colleagues put me on to a health coaching course at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, which is over in America, but you can do it online. Yeah. She said they, 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 have, they have a half price special on this weekend, Emma, I think you'd love it. And I and so she gave me that tip and I went and enrolled and it really did change things for me. So lots of different um, responses from people from support to disbelief to sadness kind of thing yeah yeah and I think it's great if you've got enough people around you in different roles in your life to be playing that supportive uh, part because it's often there's lots of internal dialogue going on that's already quite critical and so for you to, to try and have enough people around you to be supportive I think can help make that a little bit easier another thing that I'm curious about and it's something that often people don't like talking about but I'm gonna ask you anyway uh, and that is about what part if any did money and finances play in your decision so you're in Sydney it's an expensive city to live in but you're on a what I imagine is a senior it's a very very senior role so I imagine there's a pretty healthy salary that's attached to that what were some of the thoughts that you had around the financial side of things in making this decision uh to be really honest (laughs) finances is not my um not my specialty it's not something that drives me Mm -hmm. so um you know, when I look back on things now, I probably should have made some better plans with that. Like I think that um, some of the things that I did, I, like I would have worked more when I was still studying than I than I did, uh-huh. things like that. Um, you know, so it didn't actually make it didn't make a big difference to me because um, I'm kind of an internal eternal optimist, and I sort of think everything will work out. Yeah. But th- I think there'd be people that. Um, are very highly motivated by money that would probably be horrified by what I did. <laughs> yeah. So um, it sounds like yeah. it, it wasn't really a factor because you just didn't really think about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yes. And so what about now that, because how long have you been roughly uh, in Albany and working for yourself for now? So I've been in Albany for seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year of that I was pretty much studying and, you know, I've, I've been kind of working on and off for other people at the same time as running my business pretty mm-hmm. much the whole time because I think it's really smart to have um, several streams of income. Oh, yes, and so, and so I, and also when you work for yourself, it can get really lonely and it can get really like things go round and round in your head a million times. So I find it really beneficial to be working for somebody else as well because it gets me out of the house. It gets me to talk about different things with different people and it actually helps to keep me inspired. So that's what I recommend is doing a bit of both if you can. Yeah, great. Fantastic. And it's it's a great thing to have hindsight, uh, to be able to look back on the journey and, and to see those moments of you know, the decision that you made, which at the time was the right decision for you, um, yeah. but to also be able to look back and kind of go, oh, okay, that, that you know, could have handled that differently and not necessarily that wanting or wishing to change things, but it's just learning and extracting the lessons uh, from your experience. So you've touched on a couple of, of things there that are, you know, potentially challenges, but are there any other challenges that you think that you have faced since you started working for yourself? 
Uh, I think it's just the, um, the, the thing about looking after yourself all of the time. Like, as I said, you know, I'm single, I don't have kids, I live, I live on my own. So it kind of just means that, you know, if, if I'm having a bad income week or month, that can be really scary because there's no one else around to support me, Mm -hmm. you know, with that. So it's not, but it's not just the money. It's kind of like I teach classes and honestly, the week of the full moon, I mean, sorry, the new moon, people just cancel all the time. And, and it's not, yeah, it's really interesting. um, So it's not just the money side of it. It's like, did I do something wrong? Do my classes suck all of a sudden? Is there something wrong with me? (laughs) So that's really different to working for somebody else. Like, yes, I had external people sometimes saying funny things, but you can laugh that off. But when you work for yourself all the time, yeah, things go round and round in your head and you can talk yourself into feeling bad about yourself if you want to. Mm, totally. Yeah, yeah. That, that inner voice can be um, quite vocal when it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, thank you for sharing that. And I think that, you know, these are important things for people to be aware of so that we don't just get caught up in the the shiny brochure of what we imagine this perfect life and situation to be I'm going to be in Albany with my family it's going to be beautiful I'm going to work for myself I'm going to have so much freedom you know we can tell ourselves all all of that um, and it is important to without overdoing it to also be fairly realistic about some of the other challenges that come up and to look at okay what could I put in place to help me manage that um, and so that, you know, people are going to be informed about the choice that they're making and the way that they go about making the transition. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, because I was and still am a high achiever because I have that kind of workaholic tendency. Yes, I, because, I relate. Yes, yeah, just because I have freedom now doesn't mean I take that freedom you know like I'm very very aware of the fact that you know if I have a day where I'm not doing anything even if it's on the weekends it's like there's all this guilt going on I should be doing this I should be doing that there's always a to-do list whereas you can work really long hours for somebody else but you can always walk away from it whereas Mm. when you work for yourself it's there it's there all the time yes Yeah. And again, I think uh, one of the great things about working for yourself when you are that kind of, you know, type A personality worker is that when it's your own thing, you want to do it because it's fun and it's yours. And it can also become very all consuming. And I think that's definitely something that I have struggled with in the past and occasionally still do where I just get on a roll with something. And unless I create external appointments or uh, things to circuit break my day or my night or my weekend it can be that I just fall into that you know constant working kind of treadmill so having you know some kind of appropriate you know boundaries and guidelines on you know when your, your work day starts when it ends what days you do work what days you don't work and all that kind of thing is still really important yeah absolutely Absolutely. What about in terms of looking back over the last couple of years, uh, are there any things that you wish you did earlier or support that you wish that you had sort of sought out earlier? Something I did about two years ago was to have um, one of the, you know, a local person look after all my bookings. Oh, yes. Because I do a number of classes, 
I mean, it's only five classes a week, but it's like, you know, eight to 10 people at each class. And it used to be people would say at the end of the class, I'm not going to come next week, but I'll be here in two weeks time. And, you know, like try and get me to sort out their bookings. I have a very limited space. So I, you know, I have to have bookings and yeah, it used to just do my head in. Like I'd finish a yoga class feeling great. And then it's like, I've got to remember 10 million things when I've got to rush off to do something else. Three weeks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I did that a couple of years ago. I got someone to come and help me with that. But that's something I would have, you know, it's not that expensive to have someone help you with something like that. So I would have done that much earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I did recently um, was to put everyone on like a direct debit system so yep. that it means that every week I get a paycheck from yep. the direct debit company and mm-hmm. that just makes a really big difference because in the past I was doing in my industry like 10 class passes and it might be like five people get one in one week and then I wouldn't sell any for you know three or four weeks and then I'd sell another four and you know so the income was really um erratic yes but now I know that every Thursday I'm going to get some pay in my bank account no matter what and that makes a massive difference to yeah being able to run my finances but also just I don't know that mental stability as well just knowing that money's coming in all the time yeah and look I don't necessarily want to keep talking about the money side of things but the reality is that that's part of actually having a business is that you have to be looking at the numbers. You have to be thinking about cash flow and, and, and the importance of you being able to plan and to regulate emotionally and physically where is the money coming from. And I think that it, it can't be overestimated the impact of when there's financial dramas going on, how much that plays out into every other aspect of the business. So I think it is really important that you've shared something as an insight like that because it can help people to think differently about just being a bit ad hoc and like, oh, it's just a simple thing. You can just pay me when I see you versus going, oh, actually, we're a business and this is how you book and this is how you pay. Yes, exactly. And I think that's really a business mindset. And I think a mistake I've made in the past and I've seen other people in this kind of industry make is that it's kind of like I do it because I love it mm. and, and you know, it feels it's so much fun and all that sort of stuff. And when you when you come to your business like that, people don't see you as a business. They see you as their friend or their someone who looks after them or something like that. Whereas yes. when you have these systems in place, you look like a business, you act like a business, people treat you like a business and things definitely change. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, fantastic. So good that you've shared that. And so what about uh, how things have evolved? So you've, you've got the, the classes and uh, you mentioned earlier that you really sort of specialise in body love. What, yeah. what does that mean? I see it as a way of kind of accepting the body that you have mm-hmm. and treating your body with love. So it's kind of like two sides to the story. One is the acceptance and understanding and appreciating your body exactly as it is because we live in this diet culture world that makes us believe that we should look a certain way otherwise we're not healthy and we're not attractive and that's Mm -hmm. actually not true so it's accepting the body that you have but then also it doesn't mean that you accept your body and go I can eat chocolate all day 24 7 (laughs) that's not that's not loving your body either you know it's loving your body is letting yourself have rest when you need it. It's eating the chocolate when you feel like a bit of chocolate, but it's also eating lots of veggies, you know? So 
Um, my business is really about both those things, helping women accept their bodies the way they are, but also take care of their bodies with a, with a, a loving kindness kind of approach. Oh, I love that. It makes me feel safe just even you hear, hearing you say that. Yeah, and that's how I want people to feel because, you know, as I said earlier, I've, I've been wrapped up in diet culture for most of my life really believing I had to be a certain size to be worthy mm-hmm. um, and punishing myself for that, you know, doing gym workouts that made me feel like made me my body hurt that I, and that I didn't enjoy or listening to people talk about their workouts that, oh, someone threw threw up in our class today and thinking that's fantastic. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, And, yeah, and and not letting myself rest. You know, even back in my workaholic days where I didn't think rest was worthy, you know, and having all of that um, surgery and all those things going wrong for myself, I just – hated my body I just hated everything it was doing for me and nowadays I can switch that around and understand that you know I'm alive right so my body is doing something for me my body is beating my heart all of the time it's helping me breathe all of the time and these are things I don't even have to think about you know how amazing is my body yeah and and the freedom I have in my brain where I don't have to think about what did I eat how many um, calories have I burned off? You know, all those kind of things, that's all gone away. And there's so much space. Well, there they could, theoretically, there could be so much space in my brain for other things, but it, now it's filled with body love stuff. That's all I think about. <laughs> that's better than the way it used to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And look, I think it's so important, the, this work that you're doing. And even if I think back to my last corporate job where I was just getting sick all the time and eventually was diagnosed with severe adrenal fatigue. And when I started working with my naturopath, I just remember some of the things that she was talking to me about that I was just so unfamiliar with the workings of my own body that literally for 40 years I've lugged this, you know, chunk of flesh around with me without really giving it much thought about things like what's all this stuff like the heart beating and the breathing that's happening without me needing to consciously make it happen. And then when I started doing my mindfulness meditation training, that was just a whole nother layer of realizing how completely disconnected I, you know, really was with my body and my brain and my mind. And so I think there's so much value in you providing these services to help high achieving women to still be high achieving without the pressure of all this high achieving side of things that we tended to try and add into the mix because I know that I was flogging myself at work and I was working with a personal trainer and telling myself oh, I'm really stressed about work I have to go and smash myself at the gym to to counterbalance that but what I was really doing was depleting myself even more because there was no opportunity for that sort of rest and nurture time, but I didn't know that that wasn't a good thing. Yeah, and we don't know that because, because yeah, the messages we all get sent, this, you know, exercise is always, yeah, you know, the, no pain, no gain, the harder mm-hmm. you go, the better it is, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with Dr. Libby Weaver's work. Oh, yes. She's, yes. She she's was incredible. one of the books that was recommended to me by my naturopath very early days and I'm like oh what is this book okay and I just loved it yeah and she talks about the fact that after you've exercised 
you should not feel ever feel depleted. So there, of course, there are moments in your life when, you know, work feels balanced, you've been eating really well, you know, not too many emotional problems, and you can go to the gym and smash something out and feel amazing afterwards. That's that's okay. But when you're in the situation you used to be in and the situation I used to be in, you shouldn't feel exhausted after an exercise workout you should feel that little bit of a high so yeah mm. you might feel sweaty and you, your legs might be a little bit shaky but you've got that sort of I don't know your heart feels the buzz good. yeah the good Whereas, buzz after exercise not the, the buzz. I'm gonna die yeah and so I teach a lot of yin yoga which is mm-hmm. you know if you've never done it it's lying around a lot really yes. to be honest um but you know my my students most of them the first couple of classes were just like, oh, I hate this because I'm, I'm alone with my brain yes. and my brain's got so much going on. But now it's like there's one of my classes I teach one week is a sort of more of a Pilates yoga style and then the next week we do yin mm-hmm. and the women come in and they go, what are we doing this week? And when I say yin, they all go, yay, like they're just so excited oh. because that's what we were all craving because, we, yeah, most of us are pushing ourselves way too far and, yeah. and being like that is so much nicer for our bodies and our bodies are craving that sort of thing yeah uh you you're so talking to me and when I think back I remember probably before I was diagnosed with the adrenal fatigue I remember a friend saying come to this yin yoga class it'll be so good for you and I was that person going oh this is boring and this is painful and what is this even doing for me anyway? How am I supposed to lose fat from this? We're just sitting around. I know yeah. that was a whole lot of internal dialogue in my brain. Whereas now uh, I have come around to recognizing that sort of love-hate with the, the pain of the yin in a different way and just the um, release that can come from it too. So I am definitely yeah. have come sort of, I guess, the full spectrum from where I was <laughs> as being one of those people. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so yeah. you've got these classes that you do and people can, mm-hmm. you know, come along. These are in-person classes by the sound yeah, of it. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. But I've just also created an online fitness program called Inclusive Movement. Nice. And this is for women, especially women over 40, because what I've seen as a personal trainer who's over 40, I'm 46 now, is that I'm not represented in the fitness world. So I'm over 40. I'm size 14 to 16. I'm um, not particularly flexible, even though I'm a yoga teacher. I'm not particularly strong, even though I'm a personal trainer. So if you watch a video online, say on YouTube of, of an exercise program, the women are usually under you know under 40 they're usually really thin they're usually doing this you know like a plank they'd be doing the full plank with their knees off the ground for the entire minute or whatever they're doing they're always doing the hardest version they're always looking really happy um and they're I, not and I sweating got kind of, they're not sweating and I got kind of sick of that I think I think and I've seen this amongst my um community of people we're craving more of what we are like you know Mm. like I want to see myself represented so it's been actually a bit of a challenge for me creating this program because I record these videos of me doing the fitness and it's like oh there's the personal trainer with the big belly and she's (laughs) I can't I'm not that you know flexible but the students that are doing the program at the moment are just loving it because they feel represented and they can keep up with me and um, all those kind of things so um, there is an online option now as well as doing in-person classes. Yeah, So good. And I do want to touch on that a little bit because I feel like for many women that 
inner dialogue narrative of the judgment is enough to stop them from making any steps forward. So things like, oh, well, who am I to be a PT? I, I can only hold the plank for however long or I can't get my leg to go back there or whatever the flexibility test is. Yeah. I know that that's something that makes people kind of go, oh, well, you know, I can't do that. What do you think it is that helped you work through any of that internal dialogue and resistance? Well, I when I started becoming a personal trainer I was still very locked into the diet culture kind of mindset and I and I was a size 10 to 12 like my body has changed quite a lot I ended up having um, a full hysterectomy including both my ovaries removed in 2017 for the endometriosis right so I went I went straight into menopause Mm -hmm. and my body has changed and what what's helped me be be able to overcome that is just that I've built up this community of women who are mostly over 45 who don't have perfect bodies either Mm. and I've realized that none of them expect me to have that and once you get past a certain age I think particularly through menopause of course there's a lot of women who want to get their old body back but there is a lot of women who understand that they're probably never going to get their whole body but their old body back and feel like you know feel like the freedom of not having to worry about that anymore. So they still want to take care of their body, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be just to lose weight anymore. So they still want to be fit and healthy, but it's not about the weight loss. Yeah. So that that's my people. They're, they're the people I'm talking to. Yeah, great. I love that you've done that. And and that you, I guess, through all of the challenges of, I imagine, the, the surgery like physically and the recovery from that, as well as then, as you say, going into menopause and all of the hormonal changes that result in body changes, you've been tackling quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> I enjoy talking to people like you about it because it helps me re- remember that because, you know, I still beat myself up sometimes. It's <laughs> yeah. like I should be doing more, but it's like, no, Emma, you've been going through a lot. So, yeah. Thanks yeah. for a reminder. <laughs> yes, no, 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 that's good. And I, I also, you know, love that, that you've kind of called out the fact that, you know, women 40 plus are not feeling represented in the fitness industry. And I, I saw recently in one of my networks that I'm part of uh, a woman who is quoted in a, a newspaper article about the fact that, you know, women 40, 50 plus actually are a fantastic segment of the audience who have money to spend but they're actually not being marketed to very well and they're feeling you know that there's a lot of brands out there that are just not right for them so there's great opportunity for you to really connect with and as you've said create this sense of community of people that are like-minded who don't expect you to be something that you're not and that feel like they can see part of themselves in you and what you're doing so I think that's really exciting for you. You yeah, mentioned, mentioned earlier that uh, you've also developed a certification program. Tell me about that. How does that work? Yeah, so um, as part of the body love stuff I've been doing, and this really sort of came to me after the hysterectomy, I actually had a coach who was helping me with my business and I'd put together a, a, um, a website, a page on my website, and I'd put some photos in there that I weren't I wasn't going to use but they were just sort of placeholder photos and I got a voicemail message from my coach and she said oh I don't know about that first photo because it looks like you've got a lot of tummy in that photo 
And um, and then the second photo, she goes, mm, that photo looks more like a before photo than an after photo. And so she was literally body shaming me. I, and I'm my not photos. liking this person at all right no, now. No, no, no. It was awful. It was awful. And I spent about a week on and off just bursting into tears about it. It was just really oh. – and. What I realized though, this was before I'd moved into the body love space, was part of my tears were about I wasn't saying that stuff to myself anymore. So she was saying it to me and it was hurting me because it wasn't something that I was saying to myself anymore. Uh And so I really sat down and thought, what have I done? What have I done for myself that has helped me get to this place? And over a couple of months, I realized I sort of put together what I call the body love method, which is a series of self-care practices and spiritual practices that you can do on a regular basis to help you learn to love your body and accept your body and take care of your body with love. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I put that all together into a 12-month certification program. So um, I think I've had about, I've got a few students doing it now and a few students last year. So at the moment, there's probably about 14 students that have gone through the program because it's quite a small bespoke group because I like to be in touch with everybody Um, but yeah so it's a 12-month program where you learn the body love method inside and out so you can apply it to yourself but also obviously apply it to future um, clients Mm -hmm. and then there's a whole bunch of um, you know marketing how to coach you know how to run your own business um, from scratch and so um, yeah, I'm watching some of my graduates from last year now going out into the world and just taking their spin on body love because, as I said, I'm a 46-year-old woman of a certain size. I'm not going to appeal to everybody. You know, I have lots of people that say to me, you should be in the schools talking about body love. And it's like, well, I don't have children of my own. I don't yeah. have that connection. Maybe someone else should be doing that. Mm-hmm. Or people saying men need body love too. Sure, they do, but I can't do that as well. Maybe someone else wants to do that. Yeah. So that was really the idea is to create that ripple effect because I would love as many people in the world talking about body love and acceptance and taking care of your body with love from their own perspectives and then that message can spread out further and further and it doesn't mean I have to do it all myself yeah and I know I don't know no I'm not the only person talking about this but yeah so yeah now I have this 12-month certification program which just means that one of the um, big associations to do with complementary therapies has has recognized the course and so that my students when they graduate can get insurance and can get you know, a membership to this association once they graduate, which is awesome. That's brilliant. And one of the reasons why I was so excited to hear that you've done that is, well, there's actually a couple of reasons. One is it's a really, really smart business move because, uh, you know, a lot of of people say that the the money is, is made in you selling the shovel, in you being able to sell a way that other people can make money. You will always have people that are interested if what you're offering works and it appeals to people then you selling that training is great however the work that is required on the back end in order to have something be recognized I have not done this for myself but I have heard like it's there's a lot of work in order to I guess to get and maintain that recognition how did you go through that process did you find it challenging um, it was fairly challenging, but you know what? It actually helped me create the course in a really robust way. Mm-hmm. So if I hadn't have done the certification part, um, I don't think the course would be as good as it is. Yeah, so right. I kind of started that 
before I, I mean, I knew the outline that I wanted to teach, but I started going down the recognition path first and then that just helped me create the course. So it, it did take some time and then the company actually had some glitches and my application got overlooked and apparently I'm my course is about the last one that's gotten through. They've sort of stopped accepting new courses at the moment, so I got really lucky. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. It was meant to be. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Emma, if people have been listening and they, like me, just have instantly fallen in love with you, um, <laughs> they want to connect with you, find out more about your classes and your courses, where should they go? How do they find out more? So, my website's bodylovehq.com. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's I, I'm having a bit of hiatus at the moment, but I have a podcast too, so they can get access to all my podcast episodes on there and also access to the Academy, which is the Body Love Academy, the 12-month course mm-hmm. and the Inclusive Movement course. So that's probably the best place to look. Great. Um, and I'm also on Facebook, but if they looked up Body Love HQ on Facebook, they'd find me as well. Okay, great. We'll make sure that we put uh, links in the show notes to make that easy for people to just get, click through and find your website, find out more or the social um, platforms as well. So, Emma, any final thoughts or things as you reflect over your transition, if you remember back to when you were in your national business development role, dealing with the boys club, with ideas of there's got to be something else out there, any things that you would like to share as final tips or insights that you think would help someone who's in that position and maybe questioning what they should do first or whether they should do it? So I recently have done some mentoring with year 10s about careers Mm -hmm. and the year 10s, when I asked the group of year 10s that I was mentoring what careers they were going to do and why, they all told me it was because of they'd chosen their career because of money. Not one of them said they were doing it because it was something they really loved. Um, And so I guess I know when you're an adult and you've already got financial commitments, it feels more difficult, but I think your health and your happiness is so much more important. And I think people underestimate how marketable their interests are. Mm -hmm. Like everyone has a special talent or interest that other people are interested in. So I think it's just a matter of getting started. And the thing I would do differently is do more while I was still working for somebody else. Yeah, right. Um, and get started that way. I think that's really important. So great, A, that you're doing career talks with year 10s and, 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 you know, starting to connect with that younger generation and getting them thinking about these kinds of things, but also about that encouragement because I think you're right. Often what can happen is we can get to a situation in our work life and feel like, you know what, I'm out of here, This is I'm, I'm done. And it's an interesting balance between backing yourself and seeing how capable you are and being able to say of course I can move to Albany and of course I'll just start to be a PT and I'll make it work and it'll be great so you want that positivity and optimism to be there and there also does need to be an element I think of savviness around your planning and testing because things can evolve and generally they do evolve from what you think your first idea is going to be into what it will end up being and so the the longer a runway that I think that you can have around that self-discovery piece while you've still got an income coming in to be able to dedicate some time and focus around what might this idea be or actually if I'm feeling unfulfilled in my work 
what's missing? What, what part of me, you know, wants nurturing and is that a business opportunity or is it just something that I need a hobby? But I think that too many people either stay way too long in a role that's bad for them in terms of their health and happiness or they rip the Band-Aid off too quickly and jump too soon into working for themselves without enough of a plan or without enough of a buffer so that they find themselves struggling and they, they can't maintain that. And so I think that suggestion of doing more to explore ideas and set things up and study if that's what you're going to be doing while you're working is a smart way to go. Yeah, definitely. It's not necessarily what people want to hear. But, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I think it is one of those things that looking for ways of how could you do that, um, you know, knowing that you're still working a full-time job and all of that. But uh, I think it's really important to consider that uh, as, a, as a, a stronger foundation for the transition when you're ready to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anything else? I feel like I just I jumped in on your first oh, tip. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> No, I just think I, I, I think people underestimate how much they can do, mm-hmm. you know, like and how much of a change they can make in other people's lives because um, that's one of the most satisfying things for me is when people message me or comment and just say that's what they needed to hear today, that's made a big difference to their lives and, yeah. um, you know, there's nothing extra special about me. I just decided to go and do it, you know, and I think everybody else, everybody in the world has some sort of message they can share and, you should just go and do it. Nice. Excellent words to finish on, I think. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for sharing so openly about your process of transition and uh, on the other side as well to give people some ideas about how they can approach it and maybe it's going to a boxing class, maybe it's a painting class, maybe it's photography, whatever the thing is about you know exploring things and just being curious about what excites you or interests you. And to be then looking at, okay, things like what could this look like and being open to different business models and how you add value in your particular flavor. So thank you so much for sharing. And I really wish you all the best in continuing to grow your business this year. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Transit Lounge podcast and got some great insights that you can apply to your own situation. And if you are a woman who's had a successful career, but now things have changed in whatever way and you're starting to think about the next phase of your work life and wanting to transition into working for yourself and starting your own business, then I would love for you to come and connect. Join us in the private Facebook group, which is called Career Change, Start and Grow Your Own Business. I'd love you to come and connect there so that you can have a group of people that you can connect with to bounce ideas, get insights for people that perhaps are either further along the journey than you, to ask your questions, share your wins, share your challenges. So please come and connect in the group and I look forward to seeing you there.